like to invite you now to join me in turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, and verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Our brother Rob will now bring us this morning's message, Faith's Long Reach. Well, I feel like it's somewhat of a miracle that I can stand here this morning and and speak and that I was able to even prepare. I've been, uh, like Paul used to sew tents half the night, I've been working wood half the night for the last week and haven't gotten a lot of sleep. But they tell me there's a deadline and I have to finish my uh, the chair I'm building by uh, this next Thursday, so I've been working very hard. But just like Paul must, uh, God must have sustained Paul so he could preach in Corinth, I guess he sustained me so I could preach here in Fort Bragg today. There are certain people that I especially had in mind as I thought through a lot of this sermon, and they're not here right now. Um, Satan is in a full warfare for their souls and I'd like to just pause and pray that if by God's grace at all they might come back in this morning that that could happen let's, let's pray Lord Jesus we have no conception of the forces of darkness that are seeking to destroy all of us and of the intense battle that constantly goes on but Lord, we do have a conception, however faint, of how powerful you are. And in our need, and the need of our brothers and sisters, we lift our hand to you. We pray for the grace that brings salvation. That lifts the, the weak and helps them to stand. That strengthens knees that are ready to give way. Lord, we ask for your presence here this morning. We pray that to all of us you will speak a word which will give us what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied three times that you even know me. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
What is faith? What is faith? It's hardly understood in the secular world of today. You speak of faith and people think of mere religious sentiment, of feelings, of of some kind of otherworldly sort, mystical emotions or, or longings deep in the human soul. Understood in this way, the biblical faith is reduced to nothing more than than that of any other religious persuasion. Nothing more than a religious moral system that satisfies in some nebulous way the spiritual bent of humanity. Faith understood as the modern world understands it is just one more option in a spiritual smorgasbord. But that's not the kind of faith that Jesus is speaking about when he said to Peter, I pray that your faith will not fail. The faith that Jesus referred to is first and foremost a robust confidence in God, an unbridled allegiance to him, and a humble dependence upon him. It is relational, it is personal, it's experiential. By such a faith, a man or a woman is able to meet all the challenges of life, wrestle with its questions, face its problems, and conquer its difficulties, growing all the while greater and broader in spirit and in mind and the capacity to love and bless others around them. This is faith. This is the faith that God gives to us as a gift. This is the faith that the Bible points us to. Not mere religious sentiment, but a conquering power. But such a faith is never arrived at without testing. Faith is not faith until it has been tested and forged in the rough and tumble of real-life situations. The story that we read moments ago, the, the story of Peter and his betrayal of the Lord, is a story of just such a testing of faith. And because we are mortal and faulty and weak as Peter was, we need to pay special attention to this story because the forging and the proving of our faith contrary to the opinion of the secular society around us, is a matter of life and death. Faith is everything. Without faith, biblical faith, we have nothing that will last or stand. It will be found out when the evil day comes upon us that it is faith alone that can preserve all that is truly valuable in human experience. Only those with faith shall live because no other power is sufficient to meet the destruction that is inherent in evil. Only faith can conquer 
evil. Only faith can deliver us to live as God desired us to live in freedom and dignity and nobility and the power of an unspeakable love. Only faith. And such faith only is arrived at through testing. So now the crucial question is, with so much at at stake, what does it take for our faith not to fail? What does it take? In the times of testing, in times of temptation, in times of discouragement, what does it take for our faith to not fail, for our faith to be purified and refined, for our faith to stand the test? What does it take? To answer that question, we we have to dig deeper into Peter's story. And there we will find at least some indication of the things it takes for a faith to grow strong and to endure and to triumph until that day of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Peter, it took first of all a call, an appeal of the Lord to join him and to be with him and to follow him. Look at Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 18 through 20. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. Peter, wherever he was and whatever was happening to him, could look back and remember the day that Jesus had said to him, Follow me. It was as if Jesus was saying to him, I see you, Peter. I know you. You matter to me. Oh, Peter didn't know at that point that it was the Creator God addressing him. There was so much he did not understand. But he came to know in time, and this call, this call of Jesus to his heart, was an anchor for his faith. Can you think back to something similar in your own experience? Maybe it wasn't like Peter's call. But can you remember a time that God said to you, I see you, I know you, and you matter to me. Follow me. Have you had an experience like this? Hold on to those memories and go back to them often. We will all need them to see us through. But it also took for Peter this experience, this this process of gaining a faith that would endure. It took for Peter a vision of what he was not. Let's look at Luke chapter 5.
starting with verse 1. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is Jesus we're talking about here. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. It was Jesus' pulpit. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We are impressed by the miracle, and Peter was impressed by the miracle. But even more important than the miracle was the realization that came to Peter when he realized that he was in the presence of a man of great spiritual power. When he began to realize, when it began to dawn on him that he was in the presence of God. And he realized that which always comes to all of us when we realize that we are in God's presence. He realized that he was not what he was meant to be. He realized that he had failed miserably to answer the high and noble calling inherent in our creation. That he had fallen short of what God had meant us to be, of what God created us to be. And he cried out and he said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And yet in the heart cry, he also was saying, Don't leave me for I would give anything to be like you. Has this same conviction been rooted deeply in you? This realization of what you are not? The sense of how deeply you have fallen short of the richness and beauty and power of the character of God? And yet then the longing to be what he is, to be like him? Remember what Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Even before that, Jesus said what I'm just saying. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are not satisfied with what they are. Who see that we fall so far short of what we were made to be. Because of the sinfulness of our world and and our hearts and the brokenness of all that is human. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn their condition. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be like him.
even though we haven't been. These are the convictions that root faith and give it power in our lives. This experience is deepened for Peter in yet another experience. John chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard the things that Jesus said, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Peter is saying here, only you can lead us to the life that we long for. If we left you, Lord, what would be left? That's a man who's beginning to see things as they really are. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing, nothing to hope for, nothing to encourage the heart. Anything that claims to be something is a lie if it offers us what we need apart from Jesus. And Peter saw that. He said, Lord, I don't need anything more but you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to learn from you. A conviction that roots faith. Do you feel that way? Have you looked at all the other options for satisfying the hunger of the heart and said no to them? Have you realized that they will not satisfy? Have you said in your heart, I must have him. I must be with Jesus. I must know him no matter what. Peter had said that. It was a conviction that rooted his faith. It was part of the process of building his faith. And yet there was one other 
lesson of faith that Peter needed to learn. Matthew 16. Start reading with verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, skipping down to verse 21, the story continues. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Peter, if his faith was to continue to flourish, would have to turn from his own conception of things and embrace God's. This was the thing he was wrestling with when he denied the Lord. He was a zealot after all. His conception of the kingdom of God was the destruction of the Romans and the enthronement of the Jews at the center of the world. And he had scripture to back that up. At least so he thought. And he also happened to, to think that just perhaps Peter might sit on one of the thrones in that new Jewish kingdom. And he kind of liked that idea. But more deeply, he longed for the destruction of the Romans and the exaltation of the Jewish nation. But he was going to have to lay down this conception and embrace the Lord's. The Lord was dealing with something much more important and much deeper, the problem of human sin and rebellion. The need for atonement, the gift of forgiveness, reconciliation with God. But Peter couldn't see that. He was a revolutionary. He had a revolutionary vision, and he was ready to lay down his life. Didn't he say, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death? And yet, Peter was ready to die for his conception of things, but not for God's. His own agenda was still at the center he was ready to use Jesus as a tool for the things that he wanted to see happen. He hadn't yet caught a vision of the things that Jesus wanted to accomplish. 
And he was not yet ready to entrust himself to the Lord in the accomplishing of that vision. This was the step that Peter stumbled at. But in the occasion of his stumbling, he gained the most important conviction of all. The most important conviction of all, that God is bigger than my failure to be true to him. Do you hear that? God is bigger than our failures to be true to him. That is the crucial conviction. That is what it takes if faith is going to survive. We've talked about the various insights and convictions that sustain faith in times of great difficulty and perplexity and discouragement. God cares about me. I matter to him. Another conviction, I am not what I would be. I am not like him. And I have seen that his life is the true pattern for my life. And then again, nothing else can satisfy me any longer. I must be with him and learn from him. All of these are aids to faith and they sustain faith. But the most crucial conviction came to Peter in the midst of his complete failure of faith. And that conviction that was, was that God was and is bigger than human failure. That he is able to take it in stride, to forgive and restore, to lift up and to heal. Do you know this? Have you experienced this? Do you know that your betrayals of God do not have to have the final word? That your failures do not need to stay with you? and to continue to define you, that God stays with you and fights for you and is well able to lift you up and to make you worthy of the love that he so steadfastly shows to you. Do you know this? This is faith with its sleeves rolled up. It's faith down in the thick of things in the midst of the battle that is called life. It's the final entrenchment, the whole of our defense. A faith that knows that no matter where I'm at, God is able to bring me home. That is the final defense of faith, the final uh, answer to anything that can come to us. When we were yet helpless, He died for us. He redeems us. God is not baffled by our problems, by our struggles, by our inadequacies. He is not baffled by our failures of faith and even our betrayals. He stands yet before us and says, Turn again. I have not left you. You may yet triumph. It must have been, oh, sometime during the 10th year in Albania, where I spent 10 years with my family, that I had reached a point of great exhaustion and discouragement. 
and in the face of my discouragement, I had failed God in several ways. And that weighed upon me as well. I was laying in bed one morning. I had woken up and was feeling the weight of everything that was upon me. And that only made the discouragement worse. And in the face of that, Satan was beside me, whispering his evil suggestions into my head. The general gist of which went, when has God ever come through for you? Look at all the struggle he has allowed in your life. Look at the pain and difficulty. What has God done for you? And look how you came here to, to speak for him in this place. What have you accomplished, precious little? Why don't you just give up? You know, what good has it done to hang on? And you haven't even hung on very well. You ever heard those lines playing in your own head? Some kind of Christian you are. You're not like the greats who stood steadfastly and gave mighty witness in the power of the Spirit. So why do you even keep trying? I should quit with his suggestions because we don't want those to stick in our heads. And I laid there and I heard these things in my heart and in my mind. And I cried out to God. He gave me one small phrase. Faith ennobles. Faith ennobles. In other words, no matter where I am at, no matter how discouraged I may be, no matter how much I may feel that I have failed in the living of my life before God, even if I have said before others, I don't know him, like Peter said that day. There's a choice before me. I can give up like Judas and hang myself with the world's rope. Or I can reach out with the long reach of faith and remember that there is no sinner that is helpless before God. There is no sinner beyond his reach. There is none that cannot be lifted up and made anew and redeemed and taken home because our God is that big. We can hang ourselves with the world's rope or we can say, God, I choose faith today in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the problems, 
in spite of the enormous weight of the secular world upon us. Don't kid yourselves, folks. The secular world has taken a great toll on God's people. But in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that in the words of Daniel, the saints are being beaten down. That's not an exact quote. How does it say there that You see the picture in Daniel of the saints being worn down, of the saints giving way before Satan's attacks. In spite of all of that, faith still conquers. Faith still ennobles. And to exercise faith is to come off complete victor in the battle of life. I urge you once again today, choose faith. And keep praying for those who are in the valley of decision. Let's bow our heads. Lord, life is so full of incredible possibilities. You made us with hearts and with minds that were to be filled up with all your rich life. And Lord, we find it so hard to know what we were made for. We've been broken. We've fallen short of your glory. Lord, help us again this morning to grasp the message of your patient love and to believe in it day in and day out, to entrust ourselves to you and to entrust those that we love to you, to pray for them, to not give up, Lord, give us this conquering faith. Purify this faith in us. Establish it so that in the day when you come, that which you have worked into our lives in a hidden way may shine with the glory of God. In your name we pray. Amen.